Hello, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it's an honor and pleasure to have you here. I hope you're well. It's a uh, very chilly day here in Maine, um, and we're coming into the solstice uh, celebration of this winter season. And on that note, I just want to let you know that Terry and I are gifting our community a, a series of 10 practices, including yin yoga, qigong, and meditation, uh, with some reflections from both of us. We're gifting this uh, series of 10 practices as part of a winter solstice celebration. Um, this is free, so if you'd like to receive this uh, special gift and as a gesture of our thanks, please go to the link in the show notes uh, or go to joshsummers.net forward slash events and you will see the winter solstice or the sublime winter solstice celebration with us. Um, and we've got a lot of interest from really all over the world. That's one of the things about our new website is that when people do register for events or courses, we can see there's a little form where people fill out their uh, addresses. And it's we've been, Terry and I have both been commenting on how, uh, in a way, how humbled we are to see the reach that we actually have from our quiet little home in Maine, that we have people from all over North America, but concentrated in the Northeast and in California and Canada. Um, lots of folks from Ireland, the UK, Switzerland, Germany, Austria, um, and many folks coming in from, from Asia, specifically Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, and as well as our friends down in Australia and New Zealand. So it's, it's really uh, touching and um, humbling to see where you're all coming from. And really, it's just a deep honor to be able to share uh, our enthusiasm for practice with you. So that's the whole spirit behind the Solstice Celebration series that we're giving. If you'd like this gift, again, head over to my website, joshsummers.net forward slash events, or just check out the link in the show notes. In today's talk, in this Dharma talk from our uh, Dharma session with the Sangha, I'm sharing uh, more reflections about what I'm learning about our new wood stove and specifically the practice of tending the fire in our new wood stove and how I see many parallels between the process of tending a fire and the process of maintaining a sustainable uh, meditation or spiritual yoga practice. So I hope you enjoy those reflections. And without further ado, here's today's talk, Tending Fire, Tending Practice. So welcome, everybody. Good morning. It's in the morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are. Um, it's great to see you. And uh, to begin, I just, I'm going to sort of continue a little bit from my talk last week on tending practice as a uh, metaphor or as a, you know, as a parallel for um, what Terry and I are up to right now, which is tending to our wood stove. And last week I mentioned that we were expecting the arrival on Wednesday of our new stove. And it was some, somehow similar to, or somewhat similar to the arrival of a new baby. And I was sort of being tongue in cheek about that. And after it came, I realized and Terry said it really isn't so different from a new baby arrival um, in that there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. And I want to talk about what I'm learning and how I'm thinking about my practice of tending fire here and maybe draw some more parallels for how that practice of tending fire can inform and 
um, in some ways, concrete, like make concrete the dynamics of our practice, because practice itself, um, in some ways, can be kind of subtle um, and and even feel in the in the spiritual language that we inherit, it can feel abstract. But when whenever I've heard practice compared to concrete tasks like chopping wood or tending a fire or washing dishes or toilets or cooking food whenever i've heard practice compared to these concrete tasks it always gives me a fresher perspective on what i'm up to in my practice i start to see more what, what's going on so um as i as i mentioned we we received this uh our new stove and um initially there's a break-in phase with these with these stoves you have to you can't just start uh lighting big fires you have to light a small fire a few times and let it go out pretty quickly to season or warm the stove up and as the manual uh instructed us or notified us to expect um during this break-in phase the uh, the stove will off gas any residual uh, sort of paint or, or uh, bonding agents that were used in building the stove. The stove will off gas those. It's a normal process, but it fills the the house with a kind of an unpleasant, somewhat chemically o- chemical odor. Um, and they say you may need to crack some windows. And so we had a few days of. Uh, pretty significant off-gassing. Luckily, it was warm enough out that when we had the windows open, we weren't freezing. But um, between the off-gassing and the effect that that had, I think, on my own cognitive capacity, it's a little bit loopy and a little bit out of it. And just the the anxiety of like, are we doing this right? Are we using this right? Am I going to do something that's going to mess this up? <clears throat> did the break-in fire, did it burn too hot? Is it going to uh, break something of this new, this, this new um, um, piece of really machinery and and that we have um so i lost terry and i both lost sleep for a few nights in that kind of middle of the night anxiety um and and so there's that element of the the new arrival and the new baby um but there's a learning curve and it's that idea of a learning curve and how we navigate the learning curve that i, I want to speak through here um one of you shared last week after my talk um, about your own experience with working with uh, wood stoves. I just want to share a section of this this um, the share that came through from the Sangha. So the student said, having heated with wood for more than 40 years, you are correct. There are steps that I take and methods that I use that make the job easier and more efficient. I barely think, so after 40 years, she says, I barely think about these steps and methods now, but know it would be, it would take serious instruction and a bit of time to transfer this knowledge to someone else. And I just really like that, you know, like it, when you engage with a practice for a while, you learn things about the process. And sometimes you even take it for granted for all the things you've learned about like the the skills that you picked up in in learning the process or in the practice and when you really stop to think about it it would be quite challenging i I confront this all the time trying to talk about meditation it's really challenging to try to impart that knowledge the 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 experiential knowledge that you've learned in working with a system to others 
Um, and then this, the share continues. They say, I recently opened um, a few of my rooms in my house to a young person since housing is so expensive and scarce in my town. I would have loved to transfer some of the tasks to this person in exchange for rent. So particularly, I think they mean transferring some of the tasks of, of tending to the stove. However, this person is very unskilled and unmotivated to get out of bed before noon. And transferring knowledge and wood, about wood stoves that require tending would be a wasted effort as this person, I don't think, would be interested in checking on the status of the stove. So in the monitoring process. Um, it's much easier, they say, to flick a switch and turn on a space heater and um, just to heat their room with a space heater. But then they conclude and they say, tending a practice, and this is what we're doing, we're tending a practice. Tending a practice or wood stove requires interest in the practice and its results. So we have to be interested in the process and interested in what we're experiencing. What are the results of what we're experiencing? But closing a door to a space and eliminating the possibility of heat entering the space from a wood stove makes a certain statement about interest in using wood heat in my humble estimation, they say. On the other hand, and I really like this part too, on the other hand, making space for a meditation practice, making space for a meditation practice as we've done by logging into a session live or video captured or in person is a signal of opening up one's mind and body to introspection and potential change. So thank you for that uh, wonderful share. Um, and I really just want to pick on this, pick up this idea of skills that we're working with that um, over the course of a practice that um, may be hard to appreciate when we're developing them, but that may be even be harder to talk about. But when we sometimes have, as I'm trying to give today, concrete metaphors, in this case, a wood stove, uh, tending to a wood stove, but a concrete metaphor can help um, open up ways of thinking and reflecting on our practice or and your practice. So one way I want to um, approach this is, is to reflect that uh, the difference between the old stove that Terry and I had and the new stove is like two different systems, like the old system and the new system. And I want to frame it like that because um, at various times when I speak about uh, meditation practice I or my own uh, life in practice, I say I have my pre-Dharma life and my post-Dharma life. So like there's a system of how Josh is operating before Josh, I learned how to um, engage with and reflect on the Dharma and what my life has been like after I learned to integrate and reflect on the Dharma. So there's like two systems of being. And if I were to compare this to the experience between our two stoves, the old stove um, in, a, in a nutshell was fuel and time intensive. It was intensive, meaning it took a lot of time and it, and it consumed a lot of fuel source or, or a lot of wood. Um, at least a few times a day, I would have to chop kindling because the stove was so small, in order to keep the fire going, I would have to add kindling to lift up some of the logs that were burning so that the airflow would come into the little stove and keep it keep it going. 
So there was chopping, kindling, um, and there was just in general a, 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 a constant monitoring where I would have to do something at least a couple times an hour throughout the day to make sure that the stove stayed at, at its maximal heat, which ultimately, particularly in the winter, which we discovered last year, um, wasn't enough heat to heat our house or even heat our, our, our most commonly used uh, living spaces when uh, the boiler in the basement wasn't on. So that when the, the, the house's heating system wasn't engaged, it was hard to heat the house at a, to, a, to a functional level where our fingers weren't hurting or um, we weren't seeing our breath with just the stove itself. So ultimately the outcome with all that work, all that fuel was that we were, it was um, producing a cold result. <laughs> and uh, this, I'm using this as an example because I know um, the cold is coming in many parts of our Sangha geographical distribution. And there's a lot of pain from that cold, but also the economic pain that everybody is is more or less facing now in terms of oil prices, inflation uh, worldwide, and what that is doing in terms of our ability to heat. So as I speak about this, I'm incredibly grateful that we've been able to upgrade here, but I'm very aware of the, the real world pressures everybody's facing and that we've faced. And um, over the summer, as I said last week, just... Uh, predicting what winter heat costs would be this winter if we were to burn oil, we were both looking at really grim economic numbers in terms of our home economic calculus. Like it was just, I was like, I don't know how we'll be able to stay warm and um, and afford it. Um, so we invested, we, we, we saved our money throughout the year and six months ago uh, in, in large support uh, with help from a, uh, an early birthday and Christmas gift from my mother, we were able to put our funds together and invest in the stove. Um, so where the old system, where the old system was time and fuel intensive, the new system is time and fuel. The new stove, the new system uh, allowed by the new stove is much more time and fuel efficient. And you know, I mentioned with the old system, it would take, I would have to monitor it a couple times an hour, but getting the fire started in the morning was also a kind of a very highly finessed process of stacking kindling, like a Jenga set, you know, with open pockets of air. So if you know the game of Jenga where the sticks, uh, the, the, the pieces of the of the wood could cross into a tower, we'd create this tower of kindling and, and have it uh, precisely lit to get it going. Um, but with the new stove, one of the efficiency things is that overnight, as it burns down, uh, it leaves a really nice bed of coals in the morning, of hot coals. Just as I described to a friend, it's like waking up to um, orange golden, a, a pot of orange gold uh, in, in the stove. And all I need to do now is just put a few more bits of kindling in there, close the door, and without a lighter, so without a match or without a lighter, it just catches again. And it, on one level, you might think, well, okay, this is getting really detailed about stoves, but this is like our practice. When, we, when our practice is burning efficiently, when our practice is running efficiently, it doesn't have that wind-up 
feel or that startup feel or that I, I, I like have to push a lot of put put a lot of energy into it to get it rolling again. When there's momentum to the practice, that momentum kicks into gear whenever we sit down. Like we're not just starting over, we're not reinventing the wheel. And um, so in addition to it starting easily, um, it just is much better. It has much better airflow inside, which we're going to talk about shortly. And with that airflow and the way that the, the stove is designed, it is much more efficient in terms of how it burns wood. And we're able to put in a few big logs uh, once and let it just do its thing for several hours before we need to uh, uh, address it or, or intervene again. So this is freeing up all sorts of time and energy for us. And um, ultimately, the good news is we're also warm. And I'm trying to demonstrate that here because I'm out in the upstairs where it tends to be very chilly in the morning. Um, but we left this, this door open overnight and the air, as the, as the stove burned down, the air came up and has kept this studio space warm enough so I don't need a sweater or a hat or a scarf or something. Um, <clears throat> so... In all of that, in, in, in the last week and really just reflecting on, on these themes, it occurs to me that in stove practice, in, in attending to a wood stove, there's the system of the stove, there's a system that comes from the stove itself. So that's the design of the stove, the materials used, um, and specifically how airflow is conducted or, or channeled through the, through the stove. So the materials, the design, and the airflow. And I want to suggest that in our Dharma practice, in our system of Dharma practice, our practice itself is the stove. And the, pra the, the tools we use in our practice, whether it's the, the tools that emphasize compassion, or the tools that emphasize wisdom, the tools that emphasize how are we relating to what's occurring? How are we seeing what's occurring? And, and those two things, seeing and relating, are two sides of the same um, practice dynamic. How do we cultivate wisdom and compassion with our experience? How do we nurture awareness? And in the system that we've been practicing all year, where we have been focusing on compassion and wisdom, um, one of the th the themes that I th try to thread through regularly is the theme of safety, the theme of playing your edge, the theme of exercising wise discrimination or discernment and choice around how you relate to what's coming up. We've covered a lot of tools on how you can relate to what's coming up, but ultimately you're practicing using those tools and seeing which tools work best with the conditions that are emerging for you or that are arising for you. And as the Sangha member who wrote about her years of practice and working with wood stoves and all the knowledge she's picked up, um, I, I'm describing our Dharma practice like a system. It's a system of being. It's an approach to being that is a self-evolving system or it's a developmental system. It's an evolving, growing system. Meaning when you start practice, your experience of practice might be like what my what our early uh, wood stove experience was like with the old stove. 
it was a lot of work. It was kind of messy. It was inefficient. It felt laborious and tiresome. And there's it was a lot of tedious chore to it. But as the system of our stove evolves, and as the system of your practice evolves, you know, um, you may find that over time, you know, you're relating to the kinds of things that come up and create difficult ex- meditative experiences for yourself. You may find that you have greater wisdom in terms of how you're relating to what's going on. So thinking mind, planning mind, ag- agitated mind, sad mind, these different mind states or thoughts that come up that make us uh, that bring difficulty, we may have a very different way in our evolving system of Dharma practice of being with these conditions. That we're more efficient in a way, we're more insightful in a way, we're more wise, we're more compassionate in a way. There's this an evolving sense of a system developing within us that is better able to metabolize, understand, and ultimately live with whatever is occurring, whatever is happening. And that brings me to the second point. So stoves, the system of a stove um, with its airflow and design, et cetera, is there to receive fuel. So the stove receives fuel, transforms that fuel into, into usable energy or heat. In our Dharma practice, the Dharma system that I'm suggesting, the fuel, what's the fuel? The fuel, one way of looking at it, the fuel is what nobody wants. It's the dukkha. It's the dukkha. The difficulty, the, the frustration, the unsatisfactoriness. So this, in this, within the system of our practice, we give our time, ourselves space to open to the conditions of our life, and it's not to say that our, our practice time will only be filled with these particularly difficult conditions. But uh, in alignment with the Four Noble Truths, the first truth, the first practice truth is that life, there is dukkha in life. And, the, and the, the, those truths move us into steps of practice that make us, that bring us into an experience of understanding and realizing what life can be like free of the unnecessary and this is and we all have to determine what's the necessary and unnecessary forms of dukkha but how do we free ourselves from the unnecessary forms so in opening to dukkha within the system of our practice and particularly the evolving system of our practice in opening to dukkha we learn how to better navigate um, and how to metabolize and how to transform the experience of dukkha, so that we're not, um, you know, stuck in the harsh cold of it. That we can use dukkha as a way of kindling the fire of our hearts, kindling the fire of our hearts with with, with greater compassion and wisdom. And I think, unfortunately, I was not able to attend this yesterday, but. Um, at one of my old practice centers, the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts, they had a birthday celebration, a 90th birthday celebration for the founding guiding teacher of that center named Larry Rosenberg. And Larry was a teacher that um, I attended several retreats with at the Insight Meditation Society um, in the early aughts. And I really enjoyed the way he would teach. Um, But I remember 
one session in particular, he was the, he was the only teacher I remember really had that ever used this analogy himself. But he said on the retreat around the day four or five or six, whenever, whenever it was that everybody had sort of been in the flow, in the groove of the retreat schedule, that people's initial, um, people's initial few days of strong reactivity to conditions, the initial few days of off-gassing, <laughs> the off-gassing of, of um, unpleasantness had passed. But he said in, towards the sweet spot of the retreat in day four or five or so, he said, at some point, practice becomes like a, uh, a, 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 a hot furnace. He said, practice becomes like a hot furnace. And your awareness is the fire in that furnace. And whatever comes up, whatever arises, the wisdom, the strength, and the, and the, and the power of your awareness transforms whatever arises from the illusory perception of something being solid, separate, and permanent. But the fire of your awareness transforms that solid, that perception of solid separateness to a perception of flowing, impermanent, non-separation. And <clears throat> this is something to, not to be believed, but this is something to, to practice, to, to explore, and to start to realize on our, for ourselves that when we are really established in the already lit fire of our awareness, and we're tending to that awareness in our practice, that regardless of the content that comes up, regardless of whether it's a, a pleasant experience, an unpleasant experience, a painful memory, an anxious anticipation, whatever it is, regardless of whatever it is that arises, when awareness is, is, is established, when awareness is firmly established, we're able to see it and hold it and channel it and transform it from the warmth, heat, transform, transformational fire of our awareness. This is not about getting things to like, you know, you could say, okay, well, if I have this bad lump of karma, I've got this bad lump of coal in a way, I'm going to throw it in the fire and it's going to disintegrate and, and just burn off and go away. There is that side of practice. There is that side of practice where uh, I would say, you see this in the literature that there's a speaking of, of purifying the heart, of, of purifying the heart of the psychological um, toxins, the psycho, psych, psycho-emotional toxins that cause unnecessary pain, unnecessary suffering. But I think it's, it's not so much getting, getting these things to change in their own right or to get them to go away. It's more about trusting the fire of your own awareness to be able to hold and transform whatever it is that does arise. So if there's an agenda to get something to go away, that becomes a problem. If we're pushing things away, we're not really opening to it. But when we trust our own practice system's awareness, our own practice system's fire to be able to hold look into, understand, and develop more wisdom and compassion, i.e. kindling the heart of our being to be with what's coming up so that we're not overcome or overridden by 
the poisons, the toxins of the mind and heart, such as greed, hatred, delusion, agitation, anger, irritability, frustration, the 10,000 difficult emotional states or afflictive states. We're able to, to, to use whatever is coming as fuel for our heart. And I'll just close with, in, again, in acknowledgement of my gratitude for Larry Rosenberg, but in addition to describing practice as a furnace in which we transform the conditions of our life and, and, and use the conditions of our life for the growth of the fire of our own heart, he would often say practice is learning to take quote-unquote bad karma, meaning the, the experience of difficult, painful, unpleasant, uh, even traumatic experiences, learning to take the bad karma that we all share, meaning, and, and uniquely in our own lives, but we all have but bad karma experiences that are difficult, painful, taking bad karma and transforming it into good dharma, learning, developing, tending, and growing our hearts in the process. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk, uh, and I hope some of the concrete parallels between tending fire and tending your own practice um, bring dimensions of your own practice alive for you, or bring more dimensions of your practice alive for you. Um, and one last time, uh, in honor and in celebration of our past year and this current solstice season of introspection and um, reflection, I just want to invite you one more time to our solstice celebration that Terry and I are giving 10 days, that's 10 free days of practices. Um, you don't have to do one a day. You, it's, a, it's a little course that we're putting together of highlights from our teaching year. And you can have lifetime access to this by just registering at the link in the show notes or by heading over to our website, josh at joshsummers. Sorry, that's my email. Going to the website, joshsummers.net forward slash events. Until I see you next time, I have one more episode coming out this year. Until I see you next, stay safe, stay strong, stay warm, keep practicing, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take good care.